Well, all right, Matthew Fairburn, it's been uh, a little bit of time since you and I last spoke. And here we are, seven games into the season. Tuesday evening on October 24th, the Sabres are coming off a 6-4 victory, a road victory, big road win for the Sabres at Ottawa. It's been a, a fun little journey already through seven games, but just to briefly um, recap this Sabres-Senators game that you and I just watched in separate rooms, separate houses, by the way, we, we didn't watch it together. Uh, it kind of felt like old times when it came to offense, didn't it, Matthew? Tage Thompson with two goals and an assist. Jeff Skinner with a pair of goals. He's been pretty hot. I think we'll talk about that. Alex Tuck showed up tonight in Ottawa. A goal and an assist plus a scrap. Looks like he's going to be wearing that one for a little bit. And Zambigas Gergson is also getting on the board. Uko Pekalukinen tonight, Matthew, making his first appearance of the season, stopping 34 shots for the win. And last game uh, on Monday, so the Sabres just played it back-to-back. -back. Monday night, a 3-1 loss to Montreal after the game. It was pretty clear that Don Granato wanted this team to get pucks to the net, get bodies to the net. And voila, I think they did just that tonight and uh, picked up five goals for the first two periods, added a little cherry on top with a Tage Thompson moonshot in the final minute of play. And I think they listened to their coach, Matthew. Where are you uh, sitting at with this team after tonight's game? Yeah, exactly what you said there, bodies to the net being the key, right? They've been getting pucks to the net in a sense, but they had, you know, 67, 69 shot attempts, something like that against the Canadians and eight high danger chances. Not a good ratio there, you know, throwing a lot of stuff from the perimeter, not having a lot of traffic in front, not willing to, you know, as Don Granado put it, get to the net with enough conviction uh, and determination. Here we are 24 hours later and you run down that that list of goals, right? And you you tell me that Tage Thompson had two goals. You say that Alex Tuck had a goal and an assist. Skinner gets a couple goals. And in my head, right, if I hadn't watched this game, I'd be I'd be running through the highlight reel, right? I'd be thinking, man, what did what did Tage do to get those two goals, or or how did Skinner get those goals? First goal was nice, right? Two on one, no look pass from Alex Tuck, and Jeff Skinner finishes. A lot of greasy ones otherwise, right? Jeff Skinner banks one in off a goalie uh, on a on a play down low. Alex Tuck gets a deflection. Zemgis Gergensen's gets a deflection. Tage Thompson gets a deflection. And then Tage Thompson gets the empty netter. Those are not, you know, this is frozen frenzy night, Chris. I'm not sure if you've heard. All the teams are playing. John Buchagras is doing his uh, NFL red zone style show. I don't know that these were, highlight real goals for the uh, frozen frenzy, but they are exactly what the Sabres needed to get themselves out of their head and just get through this offensive funk. That's kind of been hanging over this team for the first six games of the year. Frozen frenzy. Yeah. I could do without that term. I think, I don't know how I feel about that, but no, it was cool. I guess to have everybody going on one night, but you know, it was funny. I was, you know, I thought the Sabres had it in the bag tonight, you know, and I was actually dozing off a little bit in the third period. It's been a long day. And then all of a sudden, you know, all hell breaks loose in the last couple of minutes. I was like, yeah, we got a hockey game. It, is a, it was a frozen frenzy there in the last couple of minutes. Um, Alex Tuck, 
you know, it's uh, there's been a lot of chatter this week, I think, about Tuck, you know, and even going back to preseason, um, you know, missed some time in preseason. There was one game, right, where he was going to suit up and didn't uh, make the final roster for that game. And looked like maybe he was kind of battling something. I don't know where you're at with Tuck, but now had the fight over the weekend on Saturday, had another scrap tonight, finally got on the, the score sheet tonight with a goal. And I just found his, his game tonight, you know, to be, I don't know. Do you think that was his best game in the season, Matthew? I guess I'll ask you that question. I'd say by far, actually, it was probably mm-hmm. his best game of the season. He, he made reference afterwards, uh, you know, about feeling like he had let his teammates down, let, let Sabres fans down with how he'd been playing. And like you met, you mentioned the injury and, Don Granado kind of brushed that aside last night, you know, said it's more so that he needs to find his game. And so I feel like there's always you're reading between the lines with NHL injuries and you do really have to pay pay close attention to little things like that, right? Like a late scratch from a preseason game, just keep it in the back of your head and try to contextualize how these guys are playing. Also recognizing six, a six game slow start is not, uh, you know, the end of the world, but, on multiple different lines against multiple styles of opponents. He was just kind of a non-factor coming into this game at five on five. He had four shots on net 16th on the team. Matias Samuelson and Eric Johnson had more shots on net at five on five coming into this game. So anyway, you spin it. He just was, was really not a factor for the Sabres until tonight. And he did have that fight over the weekend, like you mentioned, he was trying to get involved in other ways. I, I never would would for a second accuse Alex Tuck of coasting or not caring. Like th- this was not that. This was a guy just trying to to get in rhythm to start the season who didn't have a lot of preseason time. So this was the type of game that I think you know gets him feeling the flow of an NHL season. To to have that assist, you could tell. He was feeling the the offensive part of the game gets to the net to get that that tip in goal on the power play and the fight. Uh, another fight. This one, I don't think he wanted quite as bad as he wanted the one, uh, the first one uh, earlier in the season. He didn't want it as bad as Brady Kachuk wanted. It, he did that's not for want sure. it as bad as Brady. <laughs> he was a willing participant and he he handled himself yeah. fairly well. But this was not one that he was going looking for. But Brady Kachuk very much was and and. Tuck willing to answer the bell. I said before the season when I was making predictions, I thought Connor Clifton was going to lead this team in fights, but Alex Tuck is is coming out of the gate strong in that department. You know, it's funny. So, you know, it, it was, that was a meatball question. I mean, this was Alex Tuck's best game by far this year. Um, just thought I'd test you a little bit here. It's been a while since we've talked. And, you know, I guess tonight, um, you know, just looking at, you know, you and I had talked in the final preseason game. We'd mentioned that the Sabres were going to have this run of uh, games on home ice where they didn't exactly perform exceptionally well last year and just kind of, you know, dealt with pressure, putting on a show for the home ice crowd. And, you know, tonight was an, uh, a game they go on the road. And after having some woes at home early in the season, so they get away, they get on the road. But it was also a night where uh, the lines were kind of put into a blender a little bit, right? And what do you think was the bigger factor, the line changes or just getting out of Buffalo and getting on the road and getting away? Because, 
it's a, it's a tough question. It might be impossible to answer. I think that they were going to do the things that they needed to do and listen to their coach and take the feedback after last night's loss to Montreal. And they were going to do that regardless of what lines they were on. I thought they know as hockey players to go, you know, to the net. Um, but what's your take on that whole thing? What, what was a bigger factor to you tonight? Because this was, you know, almost considering what we've seen. I, I mean, through the first six games, the team had 13 total goals scored. And then they, they score six tonight. Was it the line changes or was it just getting away? What do you think? Getting away feels like the bigger factor because they've shuffled the lines, right? They've tried different things. They've had guys in and out of the lineup. And sometimes it's worked. Sometimes it hasn't. And it felt like, I would say two things. Getting away helps. This team is better on the road right now for a variety of factors that are hard to pinpoint. But they are, they do like to get away. And I think that seemed to matter. And it also seemed like the opponent locked them in, right? Like they have an awareness, maybe sometimes too much of an awareness of, uh, even though they, they, you talk about blocking out the outside noise and all these different things, they have almost too much of an awareness of perception sometimes. And they know that Ottawa is the other team. Ottawa and Detroit are these other teams on the rise in the division that they're going to be battling with. And they also just know it from the games they played against this team last year. They are, you know, like most NHL locker rooms, they're, they're hockey fans as well, right? So they're looking around, seeing the moves that Ottawa makes and and seeing what people are saying about everyone around the league. So I think that along with being on the road in a hostile environment, they feed off of that, which is a good sign if it if it also wasn't paired with how bad they're playing at home, you know, over the last, you know, last season and then bleeding in a little bit to this season. So I think it was a, a nice reset for them and probably good. Oddly, it seemed like the back-to-back -back played to their advantage, which is rare. You know, you'd think early in the game, they looked sluggish. They looked like they were on their heels and the back-to-back -back might might cost them. But it was it allowed them to just really simplify what happened against Montreal, boil it down to one simple talking point of put bodies to the net and and you know be willing to get to to ugly areas and then you just turn the page move on and, and play against a division opponent that you don't really like that's helpful and so the lines i think will juggle a lot this year because they have some roster questions that we'll get into and they have a group that you know guys can play with different you know line mates and, and guys can move around so that's going to be a a tool that Don Granado has all the time to, to play games and, and get different things out of people. But the big factor tonight felt like being in that building against that team and being able to just turn the page quickly and kind of, you know, band together a little bit as a group. Banding together as a group, getting on the road against that team with a goaltender making his first start of the season. And, um, you know, I think that opinions varied on how UPL looked in preseason. I thought he had a couple, you know, goals that he always wanted back. But overall, I think he got a, a bad rap from fans when actually I think he had some pretty good showings in preseason. If you look at his whole body of work and from a save by save by save perspective and UPL, you know, I, I look at him tonight. 
there was a scrambly moment there really early in the game. Um, like the fifth minute, there's a play on the side of that. And I was like, Oh man, you know, I got a little nervous right away, but I thought overall, um, he settled in, he was aggressive, he looked confident and he had a really solid performance tonight. So, you know, you have this goaltending situation now it's kind of come full circle, right? We've seen all three of them now and Sabres have a game coming up on Friday in New Jersey, I believe. Right. And, um, where where are you at with the Sabres goaltending? Well, where I guess we'll start with UPL first. What did you think of UPL tonight? No, maybe we can kind of dovetail in. Where does this? What does his performance tonight mean for the goaltending picture currently through seven games? Now that we've seen all three guys play, I thought he was really solid. And the, in the final few minutes of the game, got pretty hairy there. And I don't think that was on UPL, but it did. No. You know, it it made things look a little worse when you look at the final stat line, but that was really not on him. So I thought the confidence was the big factor. He almost didn't feel that way when we were talking after the, the heritage classic there, the, the game against the Leafs in the preseason, there was a lack of, of that, of, you know, confidence in what he was seeing or, or conviction in his movements and his reads mm -hmm. and everything else. And that's a, a trait that pops up with him. So it was a little bit concerning and I didn't see that tonight. He felt sharp pretty early. Um, you know, like you said, there was a little bit of a scrambly moment early on. He gets that save. I think there was, you know, 16 and change left where he kind of a point blank opportunity between the circles and made himself big and made the save. And it felt like, okay, he's going to, he was feeling the game a little bit at that point. And, made some nice saves and it, but I, it feels like this performance just like Comrie's two games and really just like Devin Levi's four games, they don't give you the answers, right? They no, don't get, no. they, here we are seven games in and I can't sit here and tell you, you know, which guy gives them the best chance to win on Friday. Well, night. I think that's, I think that's why they kept three. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, and still have three and it's likely why um, they're going to probably play in some roster games and, and do some voodoo to keep three, I think, as long as possible until one guy, you know, stands out. I think that when we came out of preseason and, you know, even going back to the end of last season, we all thought maybe they had the answer with Devin Levi. And we've seen Devin Levi now at the beginning of the season deal with some struggles, I would say. I think it's safe to say. And, you know, I don't know what's what's he dealing with right now. Um, you're, you're down there. What are you hearing on Levi right now? Health wise. So it's lower body, but okay. You know, it's interesting because that flames game, he didn't look great. I thought that was mm -hmm. his, his worst game of the season so far and didn't look as quick. Didn't look as, so when he popped up with the lower body, it made some sense. It's like something's nagging at him and they're giving him some time. He was on the ice the, he didn't practice on Friday, the day after the Flames game. Then he was on the ice Saturday for the morning skate, which was an optional. And then he was not, hasn't been on the ice since. And so I think they are, there's a combination of things, right? There's something there that, you know, whether it was overworked or whatever, something happened, something popped up, nothing crazy, nothing major whatsoever, but pretty good timing. Right after that game he had against the Flames, you let him sit back. This is the, the concern I had with Devin Levi going back to the end of last season. 
I, I remember asking Kevin Adams at the end of season press conference, because there was a lot of Levi talk, a lot of Levi excitement. And basically since I took this job, the, you know, summer of 2022, I, I was really enjoying following Devin Levi and his progress and his story and, and everything about it. So I'm, I'm extremely high on Devin Levi long-term. I will preface this with that, but my question to Kevin Adams was something along the lines of, you know, going into a summer where you, you could make a move at goalie and you're not really going to know if Devin Levi is ready, ready until October, maybe November when you see him. Right. And at that point you can't go backwards and sign somebody in the summer. So how do you kind of figure that out? But Kevin Adams throughout the summer had conviction and Don Granado throughout training camp had conviction that Devin Levi was equipped to handle this talent wise, ability wise, and mentally mentally, right. He was ready Mm -hmm. to handle this. Not a lot of goalies do this, as you know, like almost none go right from college to the NHL. So my main concern was in a year where it's no longer about development for the Sabres, Devin Levi almost doesn't get a chance at a development year. And so right now it feels like they're, they might get a little bit of that because of this injury minor as it may be, he gets to step back and take a breath now for over, you know, over a week by the time, Mm -hmm. even if he were to play on Friday, that would be over a week. And that's what he's used to in college, right? That a little bit of a gap between games and uh, not playing every other night. You would have hoped it also gave them a chance to get both of those guys into, into the net, Eric Comrie and, and Uko Pekalukunen get a look at both of those guys. I don't think they left these three games thinking, you know, and I, I could ask you after these three games, do you feel like one of Comrie or Lukanen solidified himself as the, the clear cut backup? No, not you could really still make a case for either one. You know, it's, no, uh, I, I, I think you're going game to game right now. Right. I mean, yeah. So no, to answer your question, point blank. No, I don't think that there's an answer to that question just yet. So now you're sitting there and you're saying, what do you do next? Do you go back to Levi when he's healthy or they now have the option to retroactive IR Devin Levi because he's missed a week and then you get a roster spot. The only thing about that is that sort of helps you, but what are you going to do with that roster spot? Matt Savoy's on a conditioning stint, uh, so he's not going to come up and take that spot. Do, is there somebody that you're you're clamoring to get into that spot that you really need? Probably not. Maybe Rusek if you wanted to give Ocposo a breather, but now he's going to have a few days. Um, so it seems like it would there'd be a decent chance that Levi's back in the net on Friday night against New Jersey as long as he's he's healthy and, and feeling good, but they've now created just an interesting situation where you're trying to find the hot hand where one does not necessarily exist right now in that. And you're kind of proving, like you said, why you kept three goalies in the first place. Cause you want some combo to emerge for yourself and they're still waiting for that to happen. And I will say while they're waiting for it to happen, they've gotten solid goaltending. I think through goaltending has not been their biggest issue through seven games. So 
it's still a murky picture is, is what it comes down to. It looked like it was Devin Levi's net and then he gets a little banged up and he, he didn't play great. And now it's still, I think Devin Levi's net to lose, but there there's a balancing act happening here between his development, his health, what's best for the team and trying to keep those other guys in a something of a rhythm so that they can be ready when called upon. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game in Jersey. You know, my initial instinct was, and this is what I was just typing. I was, I was looking for a stat here. Um, New Jersey's a wagon, right? Very offensive team, a lot of firepower. Um, you know, my initial instinct is play a guy right now until he loses. And, you know, if, if Levi is not ready, I think it's kind of a, a for me, I'd almost throw Lucan and back out there. And I was just trying to see did Lucan and get a start last year against Jersey. It looks like he got a five, four win at home against New Jersey late in the year on March 24th, um, let in four goals, 30, 27 saves on 31 shots. I don't have Comrie up here, but we'd have to go back, I guess, to take a look at that. I want to um, say Levi got one in the game. They were technically eliminated, right? Yeah, and then Craig Anderson probably played some of those others. I'd have to look. I'll, I'll bring up Comrie. You know, that's kind of my instinct, though, is if 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 you don't, you know, have the ability to ride a quote-unquote hot hand, well, you're, I guess, the hot hottest hand you have is a guy that just won a game for you. That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, it wasn't a bad performance by any means no. tonight, to your point. You know, I mean, you know, he let in four, but I'm not really hanging those on him you know, cross crease pass, like those goals in the third period, especially power play goals. And, you know, he even, he almost stopped that one and went off his glove before it went in the net. I think it was the, maybe the Norris goal, but um, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at, but it's going to be really interesting. I think this is why they kept three to my earlier comment. I think um, just when we thought we knew something, we find out that we didn't know anything, you know, and we're just kind of back to here. Here we are again with the yeah, goaltender. So. Because it looked out of the gate like man they're gonna ride levi until the wheels fall off here and then the wheel didn't yeah. fall off but it got a little you know it needed some wd-40 so uh you know he gets put on the shelf here for a little bit but i think just my biggest concern big picture in net actually isn't even that the three of these guys aren't good enough it's more so what i mentioned about devin levi not getting that if this were a year ago it actually would, would have been perfect for Devin Levi, right? Like no pressure necessarily. There would have been enough pressure, but not the same type of pressure. Mm -hmm. Craig Anderson would have been here. You know, he gets to be, you know, play some games and have these development moments with other guys on the roster. Well, now a lot of those guys have had those moments. They've had that, that time. And Don Granato has said, this is not a development year. But the fact of the matter is that it is a development year for Devin Levi. And so it felt like coming out of the, the gate, they were trying to speed that up, get him a bunch of games and, you know, get him used to what it feels like to, you know, have to play frequently. It's just going to be a balancing act all season long between his development long term, making sure that he is. And I don't want to, you know. I don't want to discount his ability to do it because mentally and emotionally and like maturity wise, he seems like a guy that will be able to handle it. It's just the, the historical context is that a lot of goalies, you know, 
Brian Cummings, you know, mentioned in the chat here, Ryan Miller needed 170 AHL games after a long college career. Connor Hellebuck played in the AHL after a long college, you know, career. Uh, go down the list of guys that played in the AHL. And just because it's done one way doesn't mean it always needs to be done one way. There's other guys. Swayman barely played in the AHL, but he had mm -hmm. a different role that he was stepping into. Uh, Spencer Knight didn't play much in the AHL. You see a lot of Russians kind of skip the AHL, but they're playing, you know. They're playing in the K. Yeah. They're playing in the K. Henrik Lundqvist skipped the AHL, but was playing top tier professionally in Sweden. So going from college without the AHL is not super common. I think Swayman is really the closest comp. And so uh, it's, a, it's one of those things where I'm just wondering how it will all play out for him. You don't want it to to mess with him too much beyond this season because he does deserve that time to develop. And I know he got a couple years at Northeastern, but uh, just thinking about the big picture with Levi, it's going to be in the back of my head all season long. Yeah, you start to wonder, you know, if he was overworked to start the year and they, maybe they were a little overzealous. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, but needless to say, um, I look forward to finding out what the answers are in net. Hopefully, you know, probably not, not the next time that we get together and do a podcast, but maybe in the next two or three, maybe we'll start to have some answers. Matthew on the goaltending. want to shift gears um, to another topic that we talked a lot about you and I in the preseason. Um, you know, we saw Matthew Savoy go down for a conditioning stint in Rochester, but I think, you know, who is still up here in Buffalo, Zach Benson, Zach Benson returned to the lineup tonight. Didn't hit the 10 minute mark. I believe, I think he came up a little short of 10 minutes and want to kind of, you know, seven games in right. Another temperature check. We just talked about goaltending seven games. in. we talked about tuck seven games in what's the temperature check look like for you on Zach Benson with the whole body of work, including tonight and his return to the lineup. If you had asked me, Heading into the Calgary game, I felt as bullish as ever that he should stick around. I still think he should stick around. I've maybe cooled slightly and seen, you know, the the potential, you know, pitfalls that could exist for him just holding up over the course of a season. Calgary was not his best game, but you know, he comes up with a nagging injury as well. They give him a chance to sit. And I thought tonight he was playing pretty well. And he didn't see the ice much in the fourth or in the third period. Once they were up by right. four, um, they really kind of went from, from four lines to three, it felt like. And that was, you know, it, it's tough when you're, you're up four goals. You kind of think that's a good chance to roll four lines and keep doing what you're doing. But you know, for they, where this team is that we all understand, I think why they did what they did. Sure. They needed to get the win. But yeah, to your point, that is a time when the fourth line is usually excited because they're like, wow, we're going to play. <laughs> yeah. And so, and they're not the fourth with, line. By the he way. ends up yeah. just under, you know, 10 minutes, like you said, and it's starting to see some of the writing on the wall in terms of, okay, they're stretching out these nine games, which means they're kind of, you know, and then they're they're limiting some ice time. So maybe they're seeing some things that suggest they, you know, wonder if maybe 
junior or even stretching him out closer to world juniors is a, is a better path. A lot of the dominoes that we, we talked a little bit about when we were theorizing what could happen in the preseason, we're seeing some of those, right? Because Benson came out of the gates. Great. Maybe cooled off a little bit, you know, that's fine. That's to be expected. I don't should, think he should be expected. I'm glad you said that. That's I don't exactly what I we don't think expect. he's, yeah. I also don't think he's bottomed out. And it's part of what we talk about with Zach Benson that we both really like about his game is that he impacts the game in a lot of different ways away from the puck. And so that if he's not on the score sheet or if he's not super active in the offensive zone, there's other ways that he's making plays. And I still see that from him. I, I don't see a, a kid that's, that's lost out there that because he's playing all these games, he's, he's losing, you know, mental focus or, or he's getting pushed around too much. I really don't see a lot of that, but it's to be expected that there's going to be some ups and downs when you're that age playing at this level. And it's not by any means a bad thing. If he goes back to junior, the only thing that from the start has kept me hesitant about that is they forward depth, I think is a problem for this team right now in some ways. And losing him doesn't make it better because the whole reason he was on this team is because he gives them a, a chance to win because he's helping them win and because he's contributing. And so you're already looking for answers a little bit in the bottom six. And, you know, maybe an 18 year old shouldn't be an answer in the bottom six. Maybe that's fair that, his style of game, you know, might not, I mean, I think it fits, but I understand if maybe over the course of a season, him wearing down is, is a cause for concern, but there's a lot of questions in terms of how they fill in their forward lineup. And he's not, he's not been their worst forward. That's for sure. Uh, you know, through these games. So how Savoy looks in the AHL, I think will matter how Benson handles, you know, these next few games before the decision has to be made will matter. You've got Yuri Kulik, uh, you know, just off to a amazing start in the AHL, which maybe tempts them, but um, a lot of that seems to be happening on the power play. You're watching Rochester a lot closer than I am, but, you know, you have Rusek down there if you wanted to call him up. So, I don't know, a lot of stuff floating around the uh, – the brain here on Benson, but I, I still feel like he's helping them. I don't think he's played himself out of any job right now. I think that they have the opportunity to stretch it out to your point. Um, we've seen young players come into the league. They get a lot of, you know, they'll play a few games they'll go up in the press box and watch for a few games. It's almost like classroom style work for them when they're watching from up top and they can continue to do that and prolong his stay here. I think the immediate goal uh, for Benson is to me was, is kind of what the immediate goal was for Savoy coming into the year, keep him here through Thanksgiving, get him into December. And if you can send him to the world juniors, that would be right around December 9th, December 10th. They'll, you know, assuming, well, maybe hockey Canada, by the way, gets together earlier. Cause they didn't have a summer camp this year. If that's the case, maybe even better for the Sabres, but yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be peaks and valleys. We talked about when's the bag going to pop, and he just kept kind of adding air to that bag and getting people excited. But, um, you know, having his ice time a little guarded tonight uh, late in the game wasn't a bad thing. You know, I think that – but he didn't look like a guy that um, 
you know, needed to kind of, you know, he missed some time, right. Just in the past couple of games and just coming back in the lineup, it didn't look like he, you know, really skipped a beat or anything like that. So uh, I'm still, you know, I guess I don't want to say bullish, but I don't think his stock is really diminished either. Um, they're, this is on the other guys on the team right now. They need other players. They need Olafson. They need Tyson Jost. Maybe some of that depth that you talk about where you feel it might be lacking organizationally. They need people to step up and make the Sabres send Benson down if he's not popping. And to your point, that hasn't happened yet. I know Yuri Kulik has gotten off to a nice start. Four goals, six points. Isak Rosane, his line mate, two goals, four assists for six points. So guys, those guys are leading the team. But like right now, if they had to call a forward up, Probably not calling up one of those two. It's probably Byro. Maybe Rusek. Could be, yeah, I wouldn't call it Brett Murray yet. But, um, you know, but with the Kulik and Rosane thing, you know, they're kind of like the second line right now. And they're they're playing great. They're showing year-over-year growth. But they still haven't seen a lot of those situations that you feel a lot of young players need to go through on the farm before really being ready for NHL time, like full throttle NHL time. Could they come up, play a game or two, Band-Aid, plug some minutes? Yeah, probably. But, you know, in terms of being fully cooked, nowhere near yet. I'm talking about being out on the ice late in the game when it really matters, whether you're protecting a one-goal lead, taking defensive zone starts. I talked about this a little bit on the podcast today when I was trying to figure out where they were going to put Matthew Savoy in the lineup on Wednesday when the Amherst play Charlotte. And... It looks like Savoy, by the way, is going to play with Kulik and Rosane. Could be a pretty fun line. But, um, you know, to take it back to Benson, um, I'm not really, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that they kind of toned it back a little bit, got the win. You got to get the rest of the team going because then there's, it's less about Benson. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in the first couple of games of the year, it was Middlestat, then Cousins got going, right? Benson was there. Greenway. A guy that I talked about a lot in preseason saying, I know what he's supposed to do as a player. And I was a hard time uh, seeing where he fit. He fits everywhere now. Are you agreeing with me that Greenway has been like one of those connector pieces? Like we talked about Benson a lot, right? Put him on any line. He's going to get him going in preseason. And that really was the case. I feel like Greenway's kind of that guy right now. Greenway's been fantastic. I'd say he's been one of their three three or four best four, probably a top three forward on the team, maybe top two on the team uh, at times. Great penalty killer. Uh, you're seeing him really engaged physically that you didn't see, I think, when he came over from Minnesota because he was still dealing with the effects of his injury and the shoulder. He's come out of the gates really strong. And he's what I like about Jordan Greenway and why I like the idea of the trade when it happened was that if you can get him playing at the capacity, you know, of what he's physically capable of, you're talking about a much different style of player than any other player, I think in the entire forward group and that they needed some variety to have some flexibility in their lines to, to move things around that Benson middle stat, Greenway line was really good to start and mm -hmm. then you put bet you put Greenway with with Cousins and Thompson and that looks pretty great so like you said you can move him around with these skill players these high-end skill players and he fits right in he scored a really pretty goal early in the year 
he's showing some of that that talent, but also to just be that reliable guy on the penalty kill late in the game against Ottawa. He's scrambling around on the ice, breaking up a play. Thompson, you know, pickpockets the Ottawa player at the point and and flips it down the ice for the empty net goal. But Greenway, you know, scrambling around kind of made that, you know, started that chaos a little bit for, for Ottawa. The penalty kill is completely, I mean, it's only seven games, but it's, it seems like it might be fixed. And I, I think Greenway is a big part of that. I think Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton have contributed to calming that down. And so, yes, you know, Greenway has been a real connector for the forward group. And I think the other big bright spot, and probably why I say that uh, Greenway has not been their best forward, is because I think Casey Middlestat has been their best forward. Dude, Middlestat's been nails, man. He and he was great again tonight. By the way, I thought he, he like so two of the goals. I point, you know, I wrote down that he made the plays. He had the turnover in the defensive zone that started the two on one with Tuck and Skinner. Great and then stick on yeah. the other Skinner goal. He picked the off bad the angle pass. goal. Yep, he picked off the pass and got the puck to the net, the initial puck to the net. And then I think Tuck put a second shot and then Skinner got, you know, his. And so Middlestad ended up with an assist there as well. You go back to February 1, I wrote this after the the Islander game because he had a couple assists there. As of that post game after the Islander game, if you went back to February 1, he led the team in assists from that point till now and led the team tied for the team lead in points he was tied with jeff skinner so i think skinner might be ahead of him now because he's keeps scoring and uh high school musical in his way through the early part of the schedule here but casey middlestat for guys that i would say there were there were pretty big questions about maybe not as many with casey middlestat different types of questions but entering the final year of his deal coming off a career year would he be able to take another step to really make that decision, you know, an easy one for the Sabres to really want to bring him back. And then you have Greenway coming on the deadline. Maybe wasn't quite himself to finish the year. People are wondering, like we talked about, like, where does this guy fit in? You know, what's Mm -hmm. he going to be? What's he going to look like? Well, right now, I think on the aggregate of seven games, those are your two best forwards. And that's great because once, Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck, you know, and okay. Skinner is in that mix too, but I'm just thinking 200 foot all over the ice game. I've liked yeah. middle stat and, and Greenway consistently Skinner's doing, doing what Jeff Skinner does. But that's kind of my point is if you have middle stat and Greenway going, you know, once Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck get going, those guys are real dangerous. Jeff Skinner's already scoring goals. All of a sudden it's like, okay. And Dylan cousins, by the way, who's, who's right up there as well, playing, playing some pretty good hockey the last few games. And it's like, you're starting to see what the top layers six look like. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they have layers to the attack and they're going to be tough uh, to match up. You know, I think if these guys keep playing and middle stack and, you know, keep this pace, we're really to your point, pick up, he's picked up where he left off late in last season. Um, no. So it's really fun to watch. So now to your point with, with Skinner, uh, already going and, and Thompson seemingly getting going, even when he wasn't scoring, he had a couple games or he, he was playing, you know, pucks just weren't going in for him. 
He had um, ten shots on night, uh, ten, 10 shots on net in one game uh, a few yeah. games ago. So it was like, <laughs> it was like, yeah, I think this guy's gonna. It was kind of like last year at the start of the year where it was like his expected goals were through the roof and he wasn't scoring. So he's he's going. Tuck was not going until this game against the Senators. So uh, now they both feel like they're they're starting to find their groove. And it's only one game, right? Let's see if they can keep it going, but maybe they can break off a couple wins. I think, you know, for all the doom and gloom that was going on in this town, I mean, the Sabres are three and four right now. And I think partially, keep in mind, I think a lot of people were just feeling really bad about the Sabres because of the expectations, but also because of the bills. I was going to say. Not, let's not ignore. Let's not ignore all that. All that shit that's going on with yeah. the bills right now. Well, they really but missed I, the window. Didn't they? <laughs> like, you know, you had, I'm sitting here thinking, the bills are falling apart. Everybody's mad at the bills. This is a real window for the Sabres. Five home games in the first yeah. six. This they is your, it, this is your chance <laughs> to like make this a hockey town again. And meanwhile, they, you know, they've got a lot of empty seats, a lot of lackluster performances and kind of a, they didn't come out of the gates roaring and, and really, you know, grab the, the fan base by the shirt collar and say, come on, we're, we're, we're doing this thing, but it doesn't change. I don't think the long-term outlook of the season It's just a little bit of a, a missed opportunity to really, uh, to, to generate some excitement, you know, for the, for the season, but the bills have done them a favor here. I think there's, there's people, uh, taking a peek over at the hockey team to see if maybe they can derive some, some satisfaction, some hope out of the group because it's pretty <laughs> bleak in Orchard Park. It's not looking too good over there right now, for sure. Um, you know, so we covered a lot of ground already here. You know, we've talked about the forwards. We talked about the goaltending a little bit. And here we are. I just did the math. We're eight and a half percent of the way through the schedule. Where are you at with the defenseman right now? You know, Darlene's kind of doing his Darlene stuff. Um, six game point streak right now. I thought Samuelson's been excellent. Uh, I love it. You know, I wrote down a note tonight just when I was jotting some things down just about his reach and the plays that he makes defending net rushes, shoveling pucks on the boards, just breaking up plays using that reach. And it just goes to show you why big defensemen are so important. Samuelson constantly makes plays that smaller defensemen, you know, those maybe mobile puck mover, offensive minded defensemen guys can't make. And he constantly just reminds you the importance of those length the length and just how big uh you know of a component that is in the blue line but i thought he's been excellent the past couple of games At, with the pairs and how they're constructed right now are you good with it and the reason i i bring it up and ask you that question is i was on sabers live today with duffer and marty talking about savoy and, and some of the other you know prospects and but as a little icebreaker, we were talking about, you know, what would you do to change the lineups? And Marty just out of nowhere when we started, you know, I gave him my forward combinations that I would have rolled out and they were all wrong, by the way. Um, but they, you know, he's like, would you change the D up? And I was like, no, man, like we're just talking about, you know, mixing up the forwards. Like you can't move every deck chair around. And I kind of, I kind of like having Samuelson up there with, with Dali right now. He can play the minutes. I think he had the most ice time tonight. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, Darlene had 21-17 tonight in the win in Ottawa. Samuelson, 22-35. I just asked you a question and then talked for five minutes. I'm going to go back to the question that I asked you. Where are you at with the pairs through seven games? And are, do you see any changes necessary or things that you would try? I feel like the defense has been, you know, I'll, we'll have to see after Frozen 
frenzy today how the uh, advanced numbers Jeez. look compared to the league my second frozen frenzy mention here as you can see i'm i'm wrapped up in it i uh, love it but, but and i only watched one game tonight so <laughs> uh, i didn't really take advantage but i actually don't like it because then i you know don't get any games to watch on a sabers night off but um the defense has not been the sabers biggest problem this season hasn't really even been a i don't know if i would classify it as a problem consistently i think consistency overall as a team has been their biggest issue it seems like they're playing whack-a-mole with different problems right the offense yeah. being the most consistent one but you know one night it's they can't get to the net one night it's defensive zone coverage or one night it's rebound control from the goalies but that's early season hockey as far as how these guys are playing I'm with you on on Darlene and Samuelson. I wasn't super shocked to see Granado go back to that because it was comfortable and it was when those two are together it is it's perfect. You know, there's there's a great you know when you have a player like Darlene who has been really dominant at times this season defensively and just quietly racking up points too. Um, you know, he's, I think, what has he got? Six, six or seven here, uh, yeah. at this point has, hasn't scored, but you know, he's racking up points, but he's shutting plays down defensively. And he's got a guy like Samuelson who understand him, understands him, can read off of him very well. The one thing with Clifton, you know, Connor Clifton has, I misread this situation in the summer. I thought Connor Clifton is going to be a Buffalo Sabres fan favorite uh, from the jump. And I still think he will be a fan favorite. I but think it, he will be when, when he gets a little deeper here into the season. It I feels he like he has been an early target, at least in the among the Sabres fans who are online. Uh, I think well, people are pissed that they didn't go out and make these big splashy moves. That's just so kind of he becomes often. Target, yeah. right? But yeah. I have like he's been the victim of some bad puck luck uh, early in the season for sure. He's had some moments, you know, I'm sure he wants back, but I I remain pretty optimistic about what he can bring to this team and one thing I will say about him is that, and the same goes for Eric Johnson, who I think has been been good and been really, really important in the room. Yeah, like when we talked about how would they handle the pressure, they they probably needed Eric Johnson more than we realized when they signed him for that reason. He's also playing well on the ice. He settled down the penalty kill. But the Connor Clifton point I want to make, and it sort of applies to Eric Johnson. When you come from a place and playing a style of hockey where there's structure and you're playing the game a certain way, especially as a defenseman, and you get plucked into a team that has been described by multiple visiting players, at least last year, and they're trying to change this, but multiple visiting players flat out said, yeah, they don't really have a lot of structure. They just <laughs> kind of, they just kind of go like Patrick Kane mentioned that there's not a lot of structure, you know, they're really freewheeling. And that is a lot different than what Connor Clifton grew up with in the NHL. Like, yeah. and he mentioned that him and Eric Johnson are kind of trying to, 
be the ones who help bring that, bring a little bit of that as obviously Don Granado and the coaches are trying to implement a little bit more of defensive structure, but you're talking about a team that doesn't have, doesn't have a lot of that, you know, solidified in place, built up and up and forwards who are now figuring that out more started yeah. to a little bit at the end of the year, but that's such a big piece of how these guys are playing as well. So if you're Connor Clifton and you're used to name a Bruins forward, being there back checking, filling his spot, being in the right place, picking up the right guy. And then you don't have that. And you're going to look at times like it's your fault that a goal was scored, but you might've been thinking, well, geez, you know, and he's never going to sit there and say it. He's never going to, but that's why I just feel like the guy deserves some time to settle in, to figure it out, to let everybody else figure it out around him. And I think that was, that's why I liked him moving away from Darlene because it was like, okay, let's not mess with what worked with Darlene. He yeah. would have won the Norris potential <laughs> if he stayed healthy last year. And who knows if Matias Samuelson was healthy all year and they got to play together for 82 games. And Connor, Connor Clifton getting used to playing within the Sabres for, forming structure is a thing, but playing with Rasmus Dahlin is different. And Samuelson's really good at it. So he gets to play with Eric Johnson, and that, that kind of works out. And then you got the old, you know, the old uh, Owen Power, Yoki Haru pair that we can get into, but but if you've got a Clifton thought that you want to tack on there. Not, not really. I'm glad you brought up structure, I guess. The only things uh, that I'll mention about what you just talked about with Clifton and Johnson, Johnson is massive and he is so strong. And just watching him in that bottom pair role, use his body and just, he's so strong. He pins very big players against the wall. It's refreshing to see. He just looks so calm and poised doing it. He just takes guys out, cancels out his man. It's such a simple thing, but it's so noticeable. And um, I just like seeing him from that, seeing that from him. On the point of structure, so glad you brought that up. It reminds me that's what good organizations have. An example of that in the area, uh, you know, my world with Noah Oslin. That's the first thing he mentioned when he moved from Year Garden in the second division up to Vequa this year is Vecwa is like the class, one of the top clubs in all of European professional hockey. And he's like, there's so much structure here and it's easy to play because everyone's good and they are always where they're supposed to be. And it talks about, it's the importance of having structure, but every good organization has it on and off the ice, by the way. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that, but um, that's all I had on Yoki Haru. Before I volley it back to you, I thought he had a good game tonight. It was one that I really watched him more closely than I have in the previous games because I was watching Power. I didn't think Power had the hottest game on Monday against Montreal. So I thought that that pair together kind of performed and, and functioned better tonight. Agree or disagree on both of those points uh, on Yoki, how are you in the pair? Yeah, relative to expectations, power has probably been, you know, yeah, seven games. You don't want to use like the wrong word, but relative mm -hmm. to expectations, his performance has has left me wanting a little bit more uh, of the six, um, because you kind of know what you're getting in Yoki Haru, and we mentioned some of the context around Eric Johnson and, and Connor Clifton. 
and the other two guys have been great. And power hasn't found that quite yet. And continuity is not an issue there, right? He's playing with the guy that he's he's pretty comfortable with or has played with a lot anyways. I don't know. Um, they're not always the most comfortable together. But I do think that against Ottawa, they were both better. And mm-hmm. Yoki Haru made a great play on a on a two-on-one to break things up. Um, that just a a confidence that I wonder we'll probably see this play out over the course of the season and as you know Clifton and Johnson get more comfortable but you wonder if being around those guys is going to really bring out a little bit more confidence in Yoki Haru and I don't think confidence was lacking for power at any point last year power and Darlene have their own kind of you know, offensive flair and and swagger about them when they're going. Matias Samuelson has found his role and his place in the NHL, and he's very comfortable in it. Yoki Haru, I feel like, has still been trying to figure out, like, you know, who am I in the NHL, right? He has yeah. some offensive ability, but he also plays a, a rough game at times in terms of blocking shots and and stuff like that. He's not a heavy hitter, but... You wonder if being around Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton, he can start to just see tangible examples of how to do that, how to play that game that can complement these other high-end skilled defensemen in the lineup. So I've seen flashes of it. The number one thing with Yogi Haru has always been consistency and, and you know how he handles the ups and downs and, and staying healthy was the big thing last year. So all in all, though, you know, it's been a pretty steady ride for the top six where I feel it's not a major problem for them. Like, I, I don't think defense, defensive structure and team defense maybe has occasionally been an issue, but I'm not overly concerned with any one individual on in, in the defensive depth chart right now. No, me neither, honestly. Um, that's why, you know, that's, that was my answer to Marty today. It was just like, nah, just like, let him chill. It's fine. If it ain't broke, don't fix it back there to your points at the biggest problem on the power thing, you know, in his draft year, there was comparisons to, you know, Victor Hedman. Right. And we have to all remember that it took Victor Hedman quite a while to be Victor Hedman in the NHL. And until Owen power is Victor Hedman, there's going to be games like some of the, the performances that, he, that he's had in the first six. And I think we just need to be mindful of that. Um, I think I don't think it's going to take him as long as it took Victor Hedman to become Victor Hedman, but I think there's going to be games and learning experiences along the way because he's still a very young player, uh, regardless of the big contract that he just signed uh, just a couple weeks ago. We should probably, Matthew, check out the comments here. As always, I've been doing a poor job uh, looking at that tab. Have you been pr- cruising through? Is there anything you want I've to pull had out this here? Up and one guy that we haven't mentioned that Brian Cummings mentioned here that I think is worth talking about, um, and would probably lead us in in some other things to really be able to tie the whole thing together. But JJ Paterka, as we were talking about the forward lines and Greenway really finding his spot in Middlestat. Brian mentioned that, you know, that kind of leaves Paterka with seeds and stems for line mates. And we had hopes for him after the world championships. Is that a weed reference, Brian Cummings? <laughs> I think it is. That's um, a weed reference. 
which you know we're on the after dark version here so yeah that's uh, not illegal that's it, not illegal it, right it's it's welcome um on this show but i think it's a fair point is that be, it's it's where when you don't have jack quinn mm-hmm. you're feeling that right you're feeling the absence of jack quinn and you could balance it out more by you know pushing dylan cousins to to center at, but we saw that that didn't really work uh not that dylan cousins at center doesn't work but that the dylan cousins paterka and either olafson or krebs like that's not really getting the most out of Dylan Cousins either. So Paterka has had shown signs of that offense from the world championships early in the season. I still just want him to to shoot the puck with more conviction. And, you know, I just want him to, there's multiple times where it's like, you don't want to be that guy, right? You, that when we're sitting in the press box, I can always hear the people in the three hundreds scream and shoot it. Um, <laughs> But sometimes with J.J. Paterka, it's warranted. Like, you you want him to get rid of the puck. And when he had that goal, uh, I forget which game it was where the, the puck came out. I think it was the Islander game where the puck just came off his stick, like, in a split second. And he, and he had this, mm-hmm. you know, incredible release. And it's like, yeah, that's why you just need to get rid of it. Get it on net. And he's still figuring that out. And I think there's a lot of potential there. But I think to Brian's point, there might be – it might be hard to see that potential – as the forward group is currently constructed because we talk so as good as an offensive team as they are and as loaded as they are organizationally at forward through the prospect ranks, there's still some, something that's not quite fitting all together with that, you know, whether it's Krebs and where do you put him center or wing, whether it's who plays with Paterka, you know, in spurts, all these guys have had some good moments, but, I think it's, you know, they're they're buying time for their their other high end guys to come up and develop. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. Ostland or Savoy or, or Kulik or Roseanne, you know, they're buying time to figure out who those guys are and and what they're going to be. And then you've got Jack Quinn hurt, so it doesn't really help matters either. But it's it's been tough to see for Paterka because you would like to. <laughs> in a different scenario, see him play with more talented line mates on a more consistent basis. They've gotten a decent response from Victor Olofsson the last couple of games, which I will mention because he's, uh, you know, he earned his healthy scratch early in the year. No doubt. He, he played his way on into the press box, but they've gotten a little bit more out of him since he's come back. You just wonder if that, how the bottom six is constructed is going to hold up throughout the course of the season without another addition to the group. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't dislike Olofsson out there with Gergensen's and, and Akposo tonight. It was that's an interesting move. Yeah. It was an interesting yeah. move. I, I was like, okay, that's a different one. Um, he got to the net for, uh, you know, I, I think it was Saturday, his first game back in the lineup. He had a bunch of shot at, shots on net against the Canadians. So it was like, all right, this guy hasn't played his way out. So I liked that, that Granado kept him in. And yeah, it was interesting to see him with with Gergensen's Akposo, much different flavor uh, than we're used to, you know, w- with his line mates. Would you were, were you expecting him in the lineup uh, in the in Ottawa, or were you thinking that they were going to put Joe back in? I wasn't quite sure what. It felt like they were leaning towards Benson, stay, getting back in the lineup, and I kind of just figured 
they'd go back to what was working and bump Olafson out. But, mm-hmm. but that was the thing. Olafson, like I said, I th- felt like in the two games he had responded well. And when I asked Don Granado, uh, one of the days at practice, I don't know, whenever I asked him about how he felt like Olafson responded, he felt he was pleased. He was like, you know, and he has, he doesn't miss chances to point out the shortcomings with, with Olafson. He's not just always positive, you know, about what he's doing, but he felt like the objectives they laid out, he was doing some of those. And so as a coach, I understand why you, you keep him in because it's like, okay, he's doing some of the things we're asking. Uh, we still may not believe that long-term this is a, a solution, but he is at least, you know, taking correction, getting to the net, uh, engaging a little bit more along the walls. I don't know if he's going to sustain that. I, I have my doubts, but um, I understand keeping him in and, and trying him with two guys. It's like, okay, we'll let this guy play a little bit more of his game and let Akposo and Gergensen's play that, you know, direct do the dirty work and, and see if it, you know, results in anything, but they, they also like Jost, you know, Jost has popped in and in spurts been pretty good. It's just like, you'd love to see some sustained something from, from the third and fourth lines, you know, some, some consistency and some identity start to form. Cause it's really been a guessing game at times it's going to be yeah it's it's tricky have you heard anything by the way on quinn it's early it's uh october 24th i think we're probably you know at least i would say six weeks before maybe getting an answer to that question but have you heard anything on how his recovery is doing from the surgery that he had he started very very lightly skating it sounds like just like putting skates on Um, okay he he's been he's he was walking around the press box with no wouldn't you know, no noticeable limp or no notice of nothing on, you know, the Achilles. So there's that. He, he didn't have skates with skate guards on. No, he sh- no, that would have been, yeah, no mouth guard, <laughs> um, no, uh, no helmet in the press box. Um, but he is still a ways off. Like you said, Don Granado said, it's still, you know, this is sort of just like one small step in his recovery. It's going to be another big question is like when he is ready, what does ready look like? You know, how yeah. long before you actually get Jack Quinn that you got at the end of last year? Cause you're not talking about Alex Tuck, who it's like, okay, he's going to come back and he's Alex Tuck. Right. So eventually he's going to look like Alex Tuck. This is a player who looked at times last year, like he was going to be your next big offensive threat, but I think had not yet established that he was going to be that consistent night in night out offensive threat the way you you see some of these other players so when you're still in that development window and you have an injury like this it complicates it yeah yeah no, that's a good point i i think um i'm i'm eager to see because i mean a lot of the things that we're talking about about what's ailing the team right now i think it's solved when they get quinn back obviously um you know just going through some of these other comments there seems to be a theme, um, some concerns about UPL's game tonight, maybe his quickness post to post. That's kind of, you know, I, I think that there's times when I do look at UPL and I still wonder if he moves like an NHL goalie finger quotes. Okay. So I get that from some of the commenters for sure. Uh, in the meantime, he stopped the puck and, and was happy to see him 
just for him as a human being, uh, get a win under his belt in his first start. Definitely a lot of support in the chat for Greenway and Middlestad. A lot of comments about just the great starts that they're having to the season, about Greenway having a good game tonight. Bob R. writes, Bills who? I hear you, Bob R. Um, I guess we'll find out. They play Thursday, right? Yeah, quick turnaround for them. Maybe just like the Sabres, it's good. You know, they get the quick yeah. turnaround and get a home game. I feel like uh, Hairbra writes, Hairbras writes, I feel like the Sabres are missing a glue guy that rounds out the forward group. Yeah. I, I, I wonder what they're going to do because you can't, well, we've talked about Patrick Kane, so there's that option if they decide to go that route. No, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll and say it one more time. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think I like it more now, even because it's yeah. like, okay, if Benson goes back to junior, then maybe you have, you know, uh, I don't know, you put Benson or you put Kane with a player like Tage Thompson, or you know, I don't know. There's a lot of things you could do. All of a sudden, you have a different level of flexibility within your forward ranks. But I think you know, what the commenter brings up also makes sense is you got to add the right type of player. You got to add the right contract, right? So that you're not blocking guys in the system and, and all that. But they do have flexibility beyond this year because Gergensen's and Ocposo are on one-year deals. Uh, Jost is on a one-year deal. I believe it's late, so don't quote me on it, but I believe he's on a, just a one-year yeah, I think, deal. Yeah, I think it was so one. It's like you have the freedom to clear roster spots. Olofsson's in the final year of his contract. So you can bring in somebody who's beyond just this season. And I think that's something that Kevin Adams has to seriously consider. I know a lot of the attention in Western New York right now is, is that Brandon Bean needs to make a trade uh, for the football yeah. team. But I think Kevin Adams needs to be surveying his options here and preparing for this is a, an interesting juggle that Kevin Adams has because of everything that we've mentioned is Zach Benson going to play beyond nine games. Yes or no. We'll see. Is he going to be around all year? Can Matt Savoy play in the NHL this year? Yes or no. They still have to find that out. If not, can Jack Quinn come back and be Jack Quinn and how soon can he do it? Those are three pretty big questions for your forward group beyond just, Will Victor Olofsson get it figured out? You know, can JJ Paterka take another step? These other individual sort of questions for each guy, micro questions, because then you have to look big picture and say, what can, if I'm Kevin Adams, what can I do as a general manager to give this forward group a boost? And if it's not Patrick Kane, is there an Eric Johnson type? that you can add to your forward group. It's got to be a guy, yep, like an older player, veteran presence, potentially with a cup on his resume. That's part of the appeal with Patrick Kane. There's a question in the comment about Kane, not to spend a lot of time on Kane because I know uh, you know, it'll go off the rails, but does he have much left in the tank? I think he's got enough left in the tank to certainly contribute to the Sabres this season uh, pending, you know, if the reports of how his rehabilitation has been going are true, I think he's got something in the tank, especially in the role that they would rely on him and the value that he would have with the Ben there done that factor to your point. But no, the uh, going back to that glue guy, I think it all kind of blends together that playoff experience. You know, I think we're looking at a Sabres team right now, the beginning of the season, it was, it's a different, they're, 
they're having trouble with the pressure of expectations maybe a little bit, you know, so we'll see what happens if they can break off a couple wins. If not, then all the more reason that they got to get someone with some experience that can help guide them. Add to that structure that you talk about going back to your Clifton comment. I think there's so many important uh, things to be gained by adding some experience to the locker room now. And I get the point of fans that were upset when they didn't make that big splash, you know, to kind of bring it full circle to some other comments that we made earlier in the show. Um, a couple other comments here. Ooh, there's one I can take. Wahlberg looks like a player too. Wahlberg does look like a pretty nice player. So for those that aren't aware, Anton Wahlberg, second round pick in 2023, currently playing as an 18 year old on Malmo's second line. Um, second, he's the second leading junior age scorer right now in the Swedish hockey league, six points through 10 games. Uh, you could tell I did a podcast this morning, right? Cause like all the stats are just like, like right stuck on my brain, but, um, more importantly, he's got power forward potential. He's really smart and he does look like a player. And I think that we will see him at the world junior championship for Sweden. He's got a lot of competition there, hair bras, but, uh, I liked your comment there and that's one I'll gladly take. I'll talk about the prospects. You can wake me up at four in the morning and ask me a question and I'll be happy to answer about prospects. He and, big guy too, like a, a big, you talk about adding a different flavor yeah. to your organizational depth chart. That's what I really liked about that pick. Six, three and a half, 200 pounds. You know, he turned 18 on the 4th of July when he was here for development camp. He's just a baby still, man, you know, and kind of like, by the way, we're going back to Owen Power. We make that Hedman thing. Owen Power is still looks young. Like, have we even thought about what he's going to look like in four or five years? It's how an interesting rock solid he's gonna be because i it just it just dawned on me like power is like this we don't even we we haven't even seen what power is gonna like be physically he's and huge Wahlberg is gonna be a monster to your point yeah oh and power the biggest thing missing from his game right now is a little bit of meanness and a little bit mm -hmm. of uh a little bit of that what you talked about with eric johnson right just being able to just physically impose your will on opponents and it's not even yep. just talking about big hits or anything. It's just like being mean in front of the net and being, you know, just a, a nasty presence. And it, some of that stiff arm into the boards, right? Yeah. yeah like, it doesn't have to be a, you know, highlight real hit, but some of that has to happen between the ears, right? Like there's a lot of that, but that happens quicker when your body starts to fill out and you're, you realize like, yeah, I can, I actually noticed it too with his shot last year where I felt like you can shoot the puck harder than this, man. Like I know you can shoot the puck harder than this. And he, there was just not the conviction with the shot all the time. And so I'm interested, like you saw Darlene, I felt like last year and I didn't watch him as closely in, in his really young years, but like last year he would just start letting it rip. And you're like, man, yeah. this guy can shoot. And you look at Owen power and you think, you should be able to shoot it as hard as Darlene. And I think you probably can when you really let it rip, but he was picking his spots almost like, you know, trying to make sure it got on net. And so it's just these little things that I feel like when he develops the confidence and the grown man strength, they'll start to come out a little bit more. Oh, I think I lost you a little bit there, Matthew, but I, I think what you're about to say though, I think there's a point in every big physical specimens career where they figure out how big and strong they are. 
And I think we haven't seen that yet with power. You, you broke up a little bit there at the end of your sentence, but I think you were kind of going along those lines. Yeah, I pretty much had wrapped there where I thought, you know, just once he gets there, yeah, you assume he will get there. There's no reason to think he won't get there, but it's just a matter of once the body really, he really develops like that grown man strength, it's going to be what you just said is going to click so, so much faster because it's going to be like, wow, it's going to be pretty hard for him to ignore how strong he is. If he continues to physically develop the way he is, because you're going to be like, he's going to be like, man, yeah, I am a lot stronger than these guys, or I can rip this puck or I can, you know, do this. And he's got, he's got a finesse element to his game. That's fine. You know, it's part of what makes him, you know, really a smooth offensive play driver. But yeah. the other part, if he can get that, that's when you're going to have a truly a potential value at $8.3 million. Uh, tying up a loose end from one of your earlier comments or questions, Tyson Jost is on a one-year, $2 million deal. It is late, so I get it. You get a free pass on that one. A um, couple other comments, I think, here. Questions before we wrap it up, if you're cool with that, Matthew. Does Quinn start off in Rochester for conditioning? Uh, possible. Probably, yeah, right? probably. Mean, yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen, yeah, I think that's a, a good call out, Bob R, on that. Um, and McKay seemed to agree with Bob saying, yep, that's definitely to get him gamed up. I like that. What positions Wahlberg been playing? A uh, little bit of right wing, a little bit of left wing, but recently second line right wing. Uh, Von Barnikow, been talking a lot about, uh, and I'll just briefly address Teddy Usyk's question here about Von Barnikow. Right now, he's second in the SHL, scoring for under 22-year-olds. William Von Barnikow is a breakout um, prospect this year, one of the better storylines that's emerging very early, playing on the top line. He's a teammate of Wahlberg with Malmo. He was a Sabres sixth-round pick in 2021. Big kid, six foot four, had a shoulder injury last year, came back, gained 11 pounds. He's stronger, faster, he looks like a player. But I do think to your question, Teddy, um, do I see him more as a bottom six role? I think that's his North American projection, even though he's playing on the top line in Sweden right now and he's um, showing some skill. His projection to me is still two way shutdown guy and uh, opportunistic offensive producer. Uh, and then Bob has a comment here. I should try to read these before I read them out loud, but the experience in Darlene's first few seasons coupled with Johnson should help power in his development. Yeah, totally. I think um, that's Darlene. That's just part of the emergence. I think that we're going to see Matthew from Rasmus Darlene becoming that next wave of leader. Once Kyle Lacposo is uh, ready to relinquish the C that's currently stitched onto his Jersey. Yeah. Darlene is, the next he's the captain in waiting it feels like and his path in particular i think can be of real value to a lot of guys but specifically power because is is the exact path um as a number one pick but even different in that it's like any struggles power feels like he's going through Darlene can be like listen man like yeah let me tell you about this coach i had uh <laughs> let me tell you about yeah. what things were like before you got here like it's gonna be okay so yeah i think that helps and you know that's where clifton and johnson i really liked both of those signings and, and maybe neither one becomes a top four guy maybe they do i don't know but at the very least you got two guys 
different paths to the NHL, but around winning programs, <clears throat> around, you know, good defensive teams, know what it looks like. And it's very clear to me that that matters almost it almost feels like it matters in hockey as much as any sport. And it was something that I think can occasionally be overrated in other sports, but oh, almost yeah. but almost underappreciated in hockey because of the long nature of the season. And, you know, it's hard to just get by on your skill and your talent all the time in hockey throughout the course of an 82 game season. And you see a lot of really talented teams not figure it out at the right time of year. And the guys that have done that and been around that, I feel like those guys, especially for this particular hockey team were desperately needed. They were, you know, completely devoid of that. They had nobody on the team that had won a Stanley cup. And I just don't think you're going to get where you're trying to go without somebody that's been there showing you the way right on the money again, Matthew Fairburn. I think that's a uh, good thought to end this late night edition of the Baker Fairburn hockey show. You like that name? Pretty simple name. A, for the show. <laughs> we, you know, unless our, our <clears throat> wonderful commenters here come up with something more clever, I feel like, you know, seeds and stems, See, the seeds and stem yeah. show <laughs> that might that. be a that might be a contender you know it's kind of like you know keeping it simple so, when in doubt keeping it simple kind of like the sabers need to do right like when in doubt we're just keeping it simple we're getting pucks to the net we're getting bodies in front of the net and we're we're just going with the the simple searchable uh simple searchable name here to start well i love it it was great chatting with you matthew i think um that that captain seat question, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that down the road too. I, I agree, and I think there's another name in the hopper that maybe we're just kind of waiting for this player uh, to just needs a little more time. I think he could also be part of that leadership core. Maybe not take a run at wearing the C, but I think we see another emerging leader on this team in the forward ranks. And I look forward to discussing that with you on a, a future edition of this show. We've gone over an hour tonight again. Sabers get a big win. Um, on Tuesday here, the 24th of October, six foot six, I almost said six foot four. I'm still talking about <laughs> Von Barnacow, uh, six, four in Ottawa. They'll be back in action Friday against New Jersey in New Jersey. I guess we'll find out who gets the net. A lot of storylines still open. Um, some that we thought we had answers to, we do not yet. And, uh, look forward to discussing all those storylines. And the next time we get together, Matthew, thanks for, uh, thanks for everyone in the chat for hopping on. If you're listening to this uh, audio podcast, by the way, that's actually worth a plug. Um, this will be downloaded if you search on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you check out your podcast, search Baker Fairburn Hockey Show. It's already appearing on there. The last one that we did, I think on the last night of preseason, Matthew, I think is the one, uh, the last time we got together. Oh, and that's Power. That's also loaded on was, there. Um, oh, the, oh, that's right. Owen oh, Power. Season that's right. Eve. So. Season Eve. That's right. Um, so that's up. You can find this on, uh, Apple, Spotify, you name it. Um, if there's a place that you're not finding it, let me know. I'll try to get it there. Otherwise, um, thanks again for hopping on everyone. Thank you, Matthew. We'll do this again soon.